Thank you, sir. I'm going to sit down during Sunday school, and I was with you last time. I think I sat through all the messages, but uh, my knee's doing a little bit better. But I don't want to push it too much. Standing on it too long it gets to be a problem. So I sit during the song service. I hope that doesn't disturb anybody. Can you folks see the screen all right? Okay. I, uh, when I moved it, the chair, I thought it would be more convenient over here, and I got a little more straight shot at the, at the projector back there, or the uh, computer. We're going to talk to you today about Israel, but uh, before I do that, I want to talk to you about some things going on in the, in the country as well. Um, I'll give a, first of all, I report on what our ministry is doing. God's been very good. It's been a good year for us. Barbara and I have been married now, it'll be uh, 54 years this coming June. Hard for me to believe. I just had a birthday a couple weeks ago. I'm 76 now. I, I really thought it would take a lot longer to get this old. I really kind of came as a surprise to me. And <laughs> I'm still a little bit shocked about being turning 75 and now I'm 76. But uh, God's been good to us. We have four children. All of them know the Lord. In fact, I think I got pictures of them this time. So let me uh, do that. This is kind of our ministry report from last year. I serve on the advisory council for... Um, uh, the, the Education Commissioner's uh, Advisory Council for Religious Independent Schools. Big thing this last, uh, last few years has been working on substantial equivalency. I was very concerned that the Department of Education guidelines for public schools say that on, as far as transgender, homosexuals, and all of that, that uh, schools are not to inform parents if the child wants to change his name or change his gender at school. They're not to be informed, not to be a part of that decision. So I was concerned they would try to apply that to our private schools. They did not. Uh, they are actually very respectful of religious freedom. During the last year, they asked if uh, representatives of each group could present their philosophy of education. I had the privilege of presenting the gospel and the philosophy of Christian education to the top brass in the state education department. So. God's using that as a means to, to talk to people about the Lord. And uh, we're thankful we're, we've, the, the guidelines have been approved now and they're being implemented. All private schools in New York State, Catholic, Jewish, Christian, uh, whatever, are going to be reviewed for substantial equivalency. In New York, you have law that's passed by the legislature. Then you have regulation that's passed by bureaucrats, some department. And then you have guidelines which further explain how you carry out the uh, regulation. And that has been done, and all schools will be reviewed by their local school authority, which is the school board, uh, to determine whether or not they are substantially equivalent. The law, top thing, says all children ages 6 to 16 will receive a substantially equivalent education. There's a set of rules for home schools. There's a set of rules for private schools. And now this is what's being implemented. Uh, because they believe there are a lot of schools that are not actually teaching core subjects. So the pathway that I suggested was accepted. They have several pathways. They're, how do we determine whether you're substantially equivalent? I suggested using the achievement test. Uh, our schools mostly use the Iowa assessments, and that is a proof that you are teaching all those core subjects and, and your schools are doing well. So that's been accepted. That should make it very simple. Uh, local school authority contacts the principal of the private school, and he says, we're using the, the assessments. Here's our test results, and that should take care of the, the 
whole issue. So I think it'll work out the best. The um, Arise ministry, of course, is the name of our, our normal ministry. You folks are very familiar with it. That's our purpose statement. Those are the things that we try to do and try to accomplish. We do that by preaching in churches. Uh, last year, about 60 churches. I also occasionally preach in a pastor's uh, fellowship. I preach sometimes in missions conferences, and uh, we'll be doing that the first Sunday in March, in fact, at a missions conference, and then other places as well. Arise uh, publishes materials. We now have 30 topics on the back table. They are called, the series is called The Truth About. The Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And so our goal is to give knowledge so you can understand how to answer the issues of our day. Uh, Pastor, one of the newest ones is on old age. You might want to pick that up. <laughs> there's uh, one on repentance. There's one on uh, artificial intelligence. There's one on, one on women preachers. Uh, that became an issue for a church, and uh, so I, I wrote that. Uh, so there's, there, I, you surely find some things that you'd like uh, that can be helpful to you. They are talking points. They're not exhaustive treatments, but it does give you a biblical answer for the various issues of our day. And that's free. That's all free. We also publish a newsletter. A number of you already receive it. It's called Arise. I take one main news story, uh, try to give a biblical perspective of it, and then I give an update what's happening in the country, what's happening in the state. You can't cover everything. I just take some key stories, and then there's a brief update on our ministry. During the last year, I added a, a paragraph or two called Liberal Logic, showing just some of the absurd things that, that liberals say. This coming week, the absurd thing is the California uh, congressman running for Senate proposed a $50 minimum wage. $50. Can you imagine what that would do to the price of a hamburger? I mean, it's just, uh, you know. And she, she said, do the math. Somebody living in California needs $127,000 to live. Well, I'm glad I'm not in California, but, uh, you know, they don't, they don't, the supply and demand doesn't, doesn't compute with these folks. Anyway, I partner with pastors this last year. Uh, in fact, for the last couple of years, I've been mentoring two young men. This is their ordination uh, to the ministry. They asked me to prepare them, and I did. And they afterwards, I said, all right, you know, congratulations. Oh, we want to continue. So we met yesterday. Uh, these two young men are, Eric is on the left, uh, Eric's on the right, excuse me. Eric's on the right, John's on the left, and that's their wives. Uh, they are, uh, their church is at a place now where they're looking for a building, so that might be a prayer request for them. They're running about 100 on Sunday. They borrow facilities right now, but they'd like to get their own building so they can do a whole lot more. So, And they, they said uh, their little church raised $109,000 last year for their building fund, so they're doing well. So God's been good to them. And I think I've, Barb said, haven't you taught them all you know? I said, think so, but they keep coming back, so we, uh, we'll keep working with them. Last year also, uh, I worked with uh, Dick Brasser. Dick was pastor of Palmyra Baptist Church. He went in the hospital the October before that. He asked me to help uh, get pulpit supply for him. I did that through the year until he passed. I also helped them call Peter Ewell as their pastor. And uh, I check on Peter once in a while to make sure he's doing okay. And I'll be there um, next week, actually. That's when I'm coming. But Dick went home to be with the Lord uh, February, I think it was February 28th, the end of February, had his funeral. And uh, that's part of that pastoring to pastors that, that we do. 
And there's some others, pastors that are discouraged that we call and try to encourage. Uh, John and Leo Britt are two that have been, I've requested prayer for for the last year. Leo Britt, as his wife, has a, he's pastor at Cornerstone Baptist in Sanborn, which is near Niagara Falls. She, is, she has a number of things. She had braces put in, got some kind of infection from it, also has Lyme disease, and it's put her in a tailspin. And she's been in that tailspin for uh, more than almost a year and a half or so. Uh, she's not doing very well. Very, uh, so do pray for her and for him as well. I call him every uh, couple of weeks. Barb and I minister in our local church. We uh, lead the senior citizen ministry. We have a luncheon once a month. They call it Silver Saints. Have a good time. We have a different theme each month. Next month, it's going to be missions. Uh, this last month was about friendship. Invite a friend. And we uh, have potluck. Or last month was pizza. This next month is international food of some kind. And we have a good time with that. And then Barb teaches in Awana. Barb was a teacher for 39 years, misses the kids, and they asked her to be a substitute in Awana. She took it, and suddenly she became permanent, <laughs> and she's been teaching Awana on Wednesday night, and then she also teaches a ladies' Bible study. She uh, really studies and works hard. She works harder than I do on messages. I think she could preach mine, but she works hard on the ones she does for the ladies' Bible study. Well, what's our goal? I told you before. Same thing it's always been. At the end of my life, I want to say I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. I really want to end well. I don't know how long I'll, God has for me. Uh, when you turn 76, you're on borrowed time, obviously. And a stroke could happen, a heart attack, a car accident. Um, you know, you don't know what God has for you. But I do know what's beyond death. So I know, you know, the, the retirement... Christian service doesn't pay that well, but retirement's out of this world. So y'all should remember that, that. We're looking forward to the Lord's coming, and that is kind of our goal. I'm going to talk to you about Israel. Before I do, though, I want to remind you um, of some things going on. New York is, has a ballot proposal this fall. It's a constitutional amendment. If it becomes a part, if it's ratified by the state, by the vote of the voters, it will permanently install abortion rights. Um, it's worded in such a way that LGBTQ, uh, gender, gender expression, all of that will be considered civil rights. It would make it impossible for the legislature to ever pass any bill that would restrict in any way abortion. So this is an evil, evil bill, uh, and it needs to be defeated. So I would ask that you begin praying now for that. The legislature is two to one Democrats to Republicans. Democrats are divided between progressive liberals and more liberal. Uh, the more liberal to call themselves progressives. Uh, they, the progressives do not get along with Kathy Hochul. And this is the budget time, so that's what they're doing right now. Budget is due, it goes into effect April 1st, which I've always thought was appropriate. Um, in any event, um, you know, they're, they're far apart on some things. So we'll see what happens. Um, Kathy Hochul has put in the budget money to transport women from other states where they can't get an abortion to come here at our expense. And we will pay for the abortion and, and housing and whatever they need and send them home. I think that's a terrible, terrible idea. 
uh, $280 million are designated to take care of the, the immigrant crisis problem. Uh, New York City, they claim now that New York has received almost 140,000 illegal immigrants. Uh, the numbers are staggering on, on immigration, illegal immigration. It's now estimated there are over 30 million illegal aliens live in the United States. The population of the, of the United States is 330 million. So that means about 10% now, one out of 10 are illegals. And many of them can't work. And so we're supporting them. We're putting them up in motels and other things and they've run out of room. Um, it, is, it is a crisis and we don't see the politicians really rising to the occasion to get together and try to solve it. So it is a problem. When I was with you before, I told you there were 10 crises. Um, those crises are still continuing. Uh, so I get them in order. President in his inaugural address said COVID-19, global warming, and that is driving the agenda. Barb and I drove by some solar um, fields today. They're all covered with snow. They're not getting much electricity out of those. And then we also passed two windmills and those were stopped. So they're not getting anything out of those either. I think the oil uh, gets kind of thick when it's as cold. Glowing inequality, that's the transgender stuff and et cetera, racism. Uh, America's standing in the world. Uh, it's getting to be a dangerous place to say the least. Attack on the truth. We've never seen anything quite like what's going on right now as far as censorship. Uh, my list, I added abortion. Abortion is still a huge problem. Um, the legislature is considering bills that would make it easier for women to get a hold of birth control, including the morning after pill, which is really an abortion pill. The border crisis, uh, they're coming in. Last month was, uh, December rather, was uh, 300,000 illegals across the border. By the way, the huge number of Chinese of military age are crossing right now. Uh, we, are, have, we have strained relations with China and allowing unrestricted immigration from China is a very bad idea. War drums, uh, Russia is making noise, uh, China is making noise, they're making aggressive moves, Iran's developing nuclear weapons, it's a huge problem. And then debt and inflation, the national debt. Congress passed, kicked the can down the road again raising the debt limit, so it now is kind of floating. It's over $35 trillion, and that's also driving inflation. That's why you have inflation the way you do, and you are paying probably, although they, they talk about coming down, prices coming down, if you take the accumulative effect, we're paying about 17%, 17 to 20% more for most of our goods and services. Bottom line, it's a, it's a critical, it's a spiritual crisis. America's in trouble because America's forgetting God. October 7th uh, was uh, one of those horrific days that will live in infamy. Uh, Hamas launched an attack from Gaza, uh, killing almost 1,500 people, taking a number of civilians hostage. About 150, about 300 people now, they believe, were taken. About 150 of those are still under, in captivity. Um, and so the eyes of the world in some ways have been, have been focused on Israel. Also, I, I'm running into uh, people confused about end time prophecy. If you're mixed up about Israel, you will be messed up on prophecy. Right. You, you must distinguish between Israel and, and the church. If you don't, then you're going to be confused. 
And I, I find, you know, everyone I've talked to that's now suddenly post-trib or mid-trib or, or pre-wrath um, positions, I'm pre-trib, is confused about this issue. So let's think about that for a minute. Uh, there we go. We need to define our terms, so I'm going to do that. The church is the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter four, or 5, verses 24 to 32, composed of all those who receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior during the church age from Pentecost to the rapture. It's also described as the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13. Now, most of the time when the word church is used, it's the word ekklesia. It was taken from the Greek world where uh, the citizens could call an assembly. That's what the word means, assembly, a called out assembly. Most of the time, it's used 117 times in the New Testament. Most of the time, it refers to a local church. But there are two times, these two phrases suggest it's more than that. That is, it's the bride of Christ. It's not just a local church. It's the church collectively and then the body of Christ. So I, I hold to that. I don't like the phrase universal church because it hasn't met yet. It hasn't been called out. It'll be called out at the, at the rapture. But we are a part of that body. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Okay? You are part of the bride of Christ. Uh, water baptism is the entryway into the local church. You were converted, you were baptized, and you joined the local church. That's the way it should work. Israel, uh, well, let's see, uh, we'll move to the next one. Uh, it's not moving for me. There we go. Israel is a nation chosen by God and is sustained by covenant promises such as Deuteronomy 7, 6, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself of all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now we need to note that not everyone that's physically born a Jew is a part of Israel. Uh, there's Israel, the nation, and then there's Israel, the, the believers. So that is a difference between the two. Now we're going to think about some of the history of Israel as we go through here. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and said, I will bless thee and I will make thee a great nation. Uh, I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now all the families of the earth be blessed is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Since he's a son of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. God promised Abraham to be a special, a special thing. In chapter 15 of Genesis, he promised Abraham a land. This is the border. Israel has never occupied all of this land, not even during the days of King David and King Solomon in the United Kingdom. But it's from the river to the sea is a whole different thing than what is being shouted today on some of our streets. In Romans 4, 3, we read, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. It's important to note the people in the Old Testament were saved the same way you and I are saved, with one difference. They look forward to somehow God would provide a means of salvation. We look back to seeing that God did do what he said he would do. So it's not that they understood what the cross was, but Adam and Eve uh, sinned against God. They're banished from the garden. They try to cover themselves. That's inadequate. Fig leaves don't work too well. They get kind of brittle. 
and God slays two animals. Uh, Abel offers a sacrifice. Cain offers fruit. God rejects Cain's offering, accepts Abel. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. How was Adam saved? By faith in believing God's provision. How was Abel saved? By believing in God's provision. How was Abraham saved? By believing God. And God counted him for righteousness. So salvation's always been by faith. We look back and see that Jesus Christ did come. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. The promises to Abraham were passed on to his son Isaac. Isaac then passed on the promises to Jacob in Genesis 28, 13 and 14. God speaks to Isaac and says, tells him what he's going to do. He says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, that's the vision of the ladder going into heaven or stairway. And God, uh, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south, and in thee shall thy seed be, all the families of the earth be blessed. So the promise given to Abraham is transferred to Isaac, transferred to Jacob. Now, then it's transferred to his 12 sons. These become the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob means supplanter. Isaac means a prince with God. These are the descendants. Uh, you can see Abraham had actually had more descendants than this. I just put out two, uh, Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael. Ishmael, you see he's the father of the Arab nations. Actually should be plural there. Muhammad was an Arab, came from that lineage. And of course, Islam. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, the Jewish people, we get Jesus, and of course Christianity, but also we get Judaism through the descendants of Abraham. Now in the Islamic version of that story, it is Ishmael, not Isaac, that's the, given the promises. Muhammad lived around the 7th century, beginning of the 7th century, end of the 5th or 6th century on into the Seventh, he claimed to have a vision. Uh, he said that he was meditating in a cave when suddenly an angel appeared before him and said, recite. And he, that's the way he described it, his barking. After he heard that, he supposedly couldn't either read nor write. He went back and told his wife what had happened. And he said, I think I saw a demon. Now, I think he may have been right. I think it may have been a demon. Over the years, he received various visions, supposedly, and he wrote these in a book that was later accumulated by his followers called the Quran. There's also a history of Muhammad called Hadith. Uh, those are the two holy books of Islam. He messed up a lot of stories in the Bible. He, he had some exposure to Judaism, some exposure to Christianity, and he thought, for instance, that Mary, Christians thought Mary was part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. Um, he thought Jesus was born in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. But the big one was, he said, the promises were given to Ishmael. So that's part of the issue that's still going on in Palestine. If you look at what's going on down over there, the, the Muslims believe that land belongs to them. By the way, at his deathbed, he told his followers to kill every Jew wherever he could find them. 
Well, Israel, uh, we could go through the whole history of Israel. Israel rejected uh, Jesus as their Messiah. Uh, they paid a heavy price for that. Remember when Pilate uh, said, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. They said, his blood be upon us. Israel paid, the Jewish people paid a high price <coughs> over the centuries for that decision. In 70 AD, uh, the Romans came, uh, there was a Jewish rebellion. The Romans came, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Uh, the last holdout was Masada, but there also was a revolt in 74 AD. Uh, the Starbuck, um, in any event, at that time, the Roman government decided they wanted to wipe out any memory of, of Judea, which it was called then. So they renamed the land Palestine, probably taking it from the Philistines, a form of the word Philistine, the Arabs have nothing to do with the Philistines. They're not genetically related at all, but some will claim that. Uh, they are separate people. I, the Arabs are a separate nation, separate peoples. Anyway, that dispersion uh, caused some big problems. Now, the question is, has the church replaced Israel? There are evangelical Christians who say, yes, that's called a replacement theory. When Israel rejected the Messiah, they said the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were transferred to the church. That's the replacement theory. This is what's called covenant theology. Um, it's different from what I believe. I believe I'm a dispensationalist. So anyway, they believe that that's what took place. We say no, the two are separate. Israel's one thing, the church is another thing. And I'm going to try to prove that to you now in the next few moments. I'm only going to give you four reasons. Now, I said the church is the bride of Christ. Israel is actually the wife of Jehovah. So there's a difference right there. In the Old Testament, Israel is described as a wife. Uh, the people of Israel did not think of God as their father. When Christ talked about God being his father, they thought that was an insult against God. They, although they should have understood the relationship, they really didn't. We are sons of God. Israel thought of themselves as servants of God. So there's, there's that difference as well. And there's others. We receive the Holy Spirit the moment we're saved. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He is with you, but he shall be in you. That's a very significant statement. Before, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people. He was with people but he wasn't necessarily in people. When you and I were saved, the Holy Spirit came to indwell. So our bodies now become the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We are sealed under the day of redemption by the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, Romans 8, 9. So you either have the Spirit or you don't. And if you don't, then you're not really saved. You have not received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, the big question, of course, the Holy, you have the Holy Spirit. How much of the Holy Spirit have you? How much does he have you? So we're going to look at foundations, founders, functions, and futures of the two. The church was founded by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's another reference that has to be the whole body of Christ. Individual churches do fail. Churches do close. In fact, the number of churches closing is staggering across the United States. But the church itself is going to prevail. Now, 
That is, I've read the last chapter in the book. It turns out good. We're going to win. That's part of what's going to happen. So Jesus said he is going to build his church. I believe it was organized during the lifetime of Christ. I think it became a living organism at Pentecost, at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. Israel was really established by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, these three men, in particular, it's, Judaism is developed during the time of Moses uh, when he right, finishes the Pentateuch. So you could say those were the founders of, of that nation. Foundation, Israel is founded by the promises of God, some of which are called covenants. Uh, these promises will be fulfilled someday. God promised a land. He promised you know, a king later on. David, the throne of David would last forever. Those promises need to be fulfilled. God does not forget his promises. He doesn't take back what he promises. These were unconditional promises that God made. Israelites become Israelites by birth, by physical birth. You're born a Jew. Um, right now, the, the uh, Judaism basically teaches if your mother was a Jew, then you're a Jew. And this father, and if your father's married to a Gentile, it doesn't necessarily count, but they do go through the mother. But it's by birth. The church's foundation is Jesus Christ himself, uh, Christ and the apostles, actually, uh, Christians become what they are by spiritual birth. So you become a part of the church by being born again, by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Different functions. Uh, this is significant. Israel was basically to be a, a model for the nations. And the, the command really is come and see. The world was invited to come and see. So you see the Queen of Sheba, for instance, hearing of the fame of Solomon. She comes to see and she goes back believing. I saw with my eyes, I now believe. Uh, that invitation is even continuing in the New Testament. One of the disciples says, can any good come out of Jerusalem? And his, his friends said, fellow disciples said, well, come and see, come and see. That was Israel's function. Arise and shine is, is a verse for arise ministry. Uh, for thy light is come. Israel is to be a light to the nations. The nations were to come and see what God could do. Now, they're supposed to be a model. And it, for times, they really fulfilled that. For instance, when the two spies went to Jericho and lodged with Rahab, Rahab said, we heard what your God did in Egypt, and we're afraid. So they heard, they saw it was to draw all men. One of the things that bothers me is there are people who think John 3.16 only applies to the New Testament. No, God so loved the world before. God so loved the world. That, that's, that's God's motive. That's, that's God. Our God loved the world. So he's concerned about Gentiles. The Gentiles were saved, but mostly they did so by coming and seeing. Now, sometimes God did extraordinary things. He sent Joseph to Egypt. So Pharaoh would know that there's a God in heaven who can interpret dreams. Sends dreams and can interpret dreams. Who knows the future? Uh, Daniel was sent to, ne to Babylon. Uh, the three friends, remember, from the fiery furnace, uh, are told, you either bow to our image or you're going to be thrown in the furnace. And who is the God who's able to deliver thee? And their answer, our God is able. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're not going to bow. Uh, and there is a God who can deliver. 
So Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, says there is no God like the king of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel's in Persia, thrown in the lion's den. Uh, why? So that all the Persians might know there's a God in heaven who can, who can save. So throughout the Old Testament, you see these stories that remind us God so loved the world. But the main function of Israel was come and see, come and see. Now for the church, it's go and tell. We have the opposite mission. We're to go and tell. Now, we are to serve as an example. And, and your church, like all good churches, are a lighthouse in the community. And you invite people to come. But primarily, our function is to go and tell. We don't, you know, it's not the four walls of this church right. where people are saved. I mean, some people are, and thank God for that. But somebody had to invite them. Uh, somebody had to, you know, go out and tell. You had to go and tell. That's the, that's the difference between the two. And, of course, that's a part of the Great Commission. Future of Israel. Well, here gets a little sticky. What time do I need to finish, Pastor? About 10.20. Okay, i got 10 minutes to cover the rest of the world. Uh, future. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, there are a lot of prophecies, but I want you to note the one in Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, this is Daniel's vision of 70 weeks. Here's what the vision says. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city. Now, who is Daniel's people? Israel or the Jews. Upon the holy city, that'd be Jerusalem. To finish the transgression. Here's what's going to be accomplished. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, God has already done part of that to, make, uh, to finish uh, the transgression, not yet, but he did make, uh, make reconciliation for iniquity by Christ dying on the cross. The 70 weeks are 70 years, and they're broken down this way. There's seven years until the command will go forth to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That happened during Nehemiah's time. 62 weeks after that till the Messiah will come. That's all in chapter 9 of Daniel. And then there's a gap not revealed in the Old Testament. This was a mystery. It's the mystery of the church. It's not revealed in the Old Testament. Now, that word ecclesia is used in the Old Testament, or church is used in the Old Testament, the King James, the church in the wilderness is used in Acts to describe the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But that was not a New Testament church. A New Testament church came into existence at Pentecost. And it was unknown. This is a, this is a gap, sometimes called, because it was unknown. It was a mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that was not revealed in the past that now is revealed in the future. Now being revealed. It was primarily revealed by the Apostle Paul. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, I, speaking of marriage, he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Uh, the rapture was a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52 I show you a great mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed a moment. And it goes on to describe the rapture. So this is a gap period. There is one week left for the Jewish people. Seventy weeks are assigned to the Jewish people. We have one week of seven years to go. So 
if you do the math, some of you like to figure this thing out. I did when I was a teenager. You have to remember there is no year zero. You go from 1 BC to 1 AD. And you also have to remember a prophetic year is 360 days. So it gets a little complicated to do the math. But if you do that, you can figure out exactly when Jesus Christ came. Sir Robert Anderson was a British nobility that, that studied that and wrote, out, wrote a couple books on the topic that are interesting reading and doing some of the math. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. We're living in what is called the church age. That's better than calling it the age of grace because salvation has always been by grace. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So no one can be saved by working for it. Now we're saved by grace. But one year left, the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to make a covenant with the nations. Now, a lot of times when I look at the news, I think the world's falling apart. But the truth of the matter is, if you, if you keep this perspective... Everything's coming together. Amen. God's bringing everything together. I think we're living in the last days, personally. Now, that gap period, uh, one week, 70 years, Israel's hope and expectancy is earthly. They're looking forward to a land, nation, king, which was forwarded by the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, if we had time, would look at those verses, but I don't. Uh, God promises a regathering, a redemption, and a restoration. He, he promises that he's going to do. He's going to bring them back to himself. So the tribulation period is assigned to Israel. It is a time when God is going to bring Israel back into the right relationship with himself. God's promise to Israel, Isaiah 11, 11, This was before the Babylonian captivity. God promised a regathering. But then notice what he says in Isaiah it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, and from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. In other words, God says, I'm going to bring my people back to the land. I'm going to regather them. And that is already taking place in our lifetime, uh, and even before. <laughs> this is uh, uh, Theodore Herzl. In the late 19th century, his newspaper editor, a Jew, and he began to say, we need to return to the homeland. We need to have a homeland for the Jewish people. And people did respond between 1882 and 1903. About 35,000 Jews returned to Israel. It is important to note there always has been a Jewish remnant in Israel. Uh, Israel was never completely out of the land, but they were mostly scattered. But the regathering, I think, began at the turn of the 20th century. Then uh, Islam had controlled, after the dis Rome controlled it, and then uh, it became kind of a no-man's land. Palestine became somewhat of a no-man's land. A mixture of people, Egyptians, Syrians, Jews, and others that were, lived there. Um, some of the other ancient peoples were still alive and around. But it became a kind of a hodgepodge. Nobody really wanted it. The Romans, when they swept in the land in, in, seven, in, this, uh, seven, in 70 and then through 74, raised all the trees and it, it became a wasteland. So nobody wanted it. When the Jews began returning to Israel, they purchased the land. This was not done by military conquest. Now, you would think today that they're occupying somebody else's land. That is not the case. 
they purchased the land. And the Arabs were willing to sell it because they thought these people are jerks. It's, you know, we're going we're gonna to get the best of them because the land's worthless. However, what happened is Israel, once they took control, turned the desert into, you know, began to bloom. This, uh, from 1517 to 1917, uh, was controlled by the Ottoman Empire from about uh, five, about middle of the seventh century. They were controlled by Islam and under Islamic domination. There were persecutions. That's the story of the Crusades. We don't have time to go into that. But uh, when World War I ended, uh, the Ottoman Empire fought on the wrong side. They lost control of Palestine and all that Arab nations. Uh, Britain was given a mandate to, to police it, to kind of control it. They had a lot of problems between Jewish settlers and Palestinian settlers, uh, so it was a problem. Early on, 1917, the, the British government proposed the Balfour Declaration, which said there should be two states, a Jewish state and an Arab state. Now you're hearing that today again as a solution. The Arab state did come to be. The UN bought into that, or League of Nations first bought into that. The Holocaust brought a lot of sympathy to the Jewish people, and of course it also brought in a lot of immigrants who fled Europe because of what had happened. Britain invited the United Nations to take control in 1947. Uh, they agreed and, and thought there should be a two-nation solution, Arab and Israel, Jewish. The Arab nation is Jordan. That's the two states. So why doesn't Jordan take control? Well, let me explain a little bit further. 1948, May 14th, Israel declared its independence, declared itself to be a nation. The United States immediately recognized it as a nation, and the war was on. Whoops, we lost it. No, we really lost it. <laughs> Sorry, but I, you know this. The thing about modern technology, it works great when it works. Go all the way up there because we want to finish up here. Israel's history has been one of warfare. 1948, completely surrounded by the enemy, 100 to 1. Uh, Israel could not win, but somehow they did. 1967, the Six-Day War, again, all of the Arab nations attacked Israel. Uh, during that time, Israel, or Jordan lost control of the West Bank. Now, why don't, why don't the Arab nations take in the Palestinians? Gaza is a very small piece of land. It's 10 miles wide, 25 miles long, right on the Egyptian border. Why don't the Egyptians just incorporate it or take all those Palestinians in? because they're part of the Muslim Brotherhood that tried to overthrow the Egyptian government. Why doesn't Jordan take them in? Well, because the Palestinian Authority tried to overtake, uh, take control, overthrow the monarchy in Jordan. Why doesn't Lebanon take them in? Well, they've got Hezbollah. Hezbollah um, is uh, Shiite, and the Hamas is Sunni. Two different kinds of Muslims, and they hate each other. So you, you know, it'd be like putting, you know, uh, gasoline on a fire. So that's the problem. Okay, uh, these are the history of the Palestinian insurgency, 1982. Yom Kippur War, Israel is almost wiped out, but somehow uh, won. 
happened on one of their holy days, the Palestinian insurgency, the first infatata, the second infatata, and of course, in October, the Hamas-Israel war that's still going on. Future of Israel includes the Great Tribulation. Uh, that's part of what's going to happen, but we're not going to be there. Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared unto old, saying unto thee, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Hath God forgotten his people? The answer is no. So the future of Israel in that tribulation period, God's going to work. How's it going to work? Well, he's going to send two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, I think. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. They're going to preach for three and a half years, be able to perform miracles. Then you have three angels are going to fly through the heavens, one of them preaching the gospel, one saying, don't take the mark, and the other one announcing the fall of Babylon. You're going to have 144,000 Israelis saved, Jewish young men that will be evangelists, that will take the gospel throughout all the world. Israel's glory days are in the midst of that tribulation. It's a time of persecution. Don't, don't misunderstand. It's a time of Jacob's trouble, but that trouble is going to lead to the Jewish people being restored once again. They'll see him whom they pierced and shall wail because of him. Then for us, what's next on the agenda for us? Well, the rapture of the church. We're, we're getting close to that, I think. Uh, one day soon, the trump will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. I remember hearing Jack Van Impey preaching about the coming war with Russia when I was a teenager, thinking, walking out of the building, boy, this could happen any minute. If that was true then, what about now? Man, you know, the world is getting ready for Christ's return. What I believe is in Romans chapter 9, Israel was set aside. Paul explains that. In chapter 11, Israel is going to be brought back in the center stage. That's the tribulation period. In the meantime, can Jewish people be saved today? Yes. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. So salvation is still available, but by and large, the Jewish people are blind. They don't see. If you've ever won a Jewish person to Christ or witness to them, you know that it's very difficult to get past that blindness. But one day, the scales will be lifted, and Israel as a nation will return to God. We're looking forward. Where are we in that plan? Well, you see that little red dot right before the rapture? We are here. That's where we are. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Promises that were made to Israel that will be fulfilled, but also promises given to us. We're thankful, Father, for this church, and we pray, God, you'd bless the services today. Thank you again for all that you've done for us and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless.